Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I thought all the time about, you know, am I going to be the first fat person that this person's ever had sex with? And a lot of the times I think I was. This is Death, Sex, and Money. I've been trying to date, and I'm, like, not on the skinny side. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Our mojo just mixes, and that has remained true as our bodies have shifted. And need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. A listener named Fitz Rush lives in the Bay Area. In the past year and a half, he has fallen hard for a woman in Colombia. Her name is Gia. She's nicknamed me her Flacco. (laughs) (laughs) Flacco means thin, right? Like the thin man? Always makes me laugh, yeah, because they're just, you know, that's not who I see in the mirror when I look, so. I first talked with Fitz six years ago for an episode that we did about infidelity. Back then, he told me he had dated several women who were cheating on their partners with him, and he described himself as overweight. Fitz went by Joe in our cheating episode, but he wanted to go by his real name this time. I'm, I'm public now. You're public now, so I will call you Fitz. I will call you by your real name. Um, sure. And when we talked before, it was about um, the series of relationships you had had with women who were in other relationships. And yes. you, you were feeling like you always had to be the sideshow. And it didn't sound like it was a, a situation that was working for you. And you described back then that you thought it might be because of of what your body looked like. Do you still yeah. think of that time in that way? Um, I know that I definitely um, attributed a lot of it back then to that. What I wasn't doing was uh, just kind of taking like control of the situation and realizing that even if that is the case, there is something I can do about it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just started building more and more kind of confidence that I'm worth more than uh, being a sideshow. Part of that confidence came from meeting women from outside of the U.S., He'd been on Tinder before, but at the start of the pandemic, the dating app allowed people to find matches across the globe. And Fitz noticed a big shift in interest. You know, my experience with uh, these dating sites has always been that where it's very few and far between for me that I make a connection with somebody compared to when I talk to other friends that oh, maybe, you know, went on three dates this weekend. So uh, it's always been a different deal for me. So for some reason, when I landed in Columbia, I was getting a lot of likes. Mm. Columbia likes Fitz. Yeah, you know, and in the Bay Area, I feel like there's just so much uh, competition out there or something that everybody believes that they would not just settle. So Mm. when they see somebody like me, I think I'm like the symbol of, oh, that would just mean I'm settling. 
Mm. They won't go that route. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's it comes down to your body size and weight. I, I, uh, I, I've always felt that. One of those people who swiped right on Fitz in Colombia was his now-girlfriend, Gia. They started trading photos and talking on daily video calls. They were falling in love. And then, a few months after they started talking, Fitz had a health scare, when a blood test determined he was pre-diabetic. It was important that, you know, she kind of accepted me when I was probably going into my worst. You know, I had been in years, like, physically as far as, uh, you know, when I got my tests and stuff. So uh, she was there with me through that. And then she was there with me through my transformation through this last year. How would you describe your body now? Um, I'm still a large man at six foot tall. And I mean, the number doesn't necessarily matter, I guess. But you know, I, I do, you know, the one joke I tell myself in my head a lot is just, you know, uh, some stranger is going to look at me today and say, look at that fat guy. And I'm going to, in my head, be laughing and saying, wow, I lost 80 pounds this year. Um, it's just all perspective, you know, and I can't really uh, change other people's thoughts on that, what what they see or what they think. I can only worry about mine, so that's what I'm going to do. And together with Gia, Fitz is figuring out what comes next in this relationship. He just met Gia in person for the first time during a recent six-week trip to Colombia, and it went really well. Now they're talking about whether she may move to be with him. You know, even though I'd fooled myself in the past that, like, when I was maybe... Uh, intimate with a um, another woman that like this was real feelings I had for her it 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 just felt more real you know it felt like uh, it meant something hmm. and it never really felt like this not like this intimacy can be hard for anyone it requires vulnerability and deep trust in your partner which can be particularly challenging for people who are told their bodies are not beautiful or desirable. We heard this a lot when we asked for your stories about how body size and weight have impacted your romantic relationships. We got a wide range of responses from people who identify as thin, fat, overweight, plus size. You told us how navigating weight can be a tricky thing in relationships, especially with weight changes. But also, we heard stories about how communicating about weight with your partner can deepen your relationship. Like for this listener, Katie Ernst, who's 36 and lives in Minneapolis. Identify as fat. That's been a a long time coming. You know, I I haven't proudly claimed that my whole life. Um, I had this view on other fat people that they were disgusting. It's pretty, and that was a, I'm like a little ashamed to admit that, right? Um, Because disgust is a, that's a word. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and of course the classic projection, right? Like if I saw other fat bodies as disgusting, I saw myself as disgusting. Looking back, how do you think the way you've thought about your body um, affected your romantic life? Mm. 
in every way. Um, I, you know, I grew up in the 90s during, you know, the quote-unquote obesity epidemic, right? And that sort of, um, all those narratives coming my way. Uh, and, uh, and I can remember, you know, I don't know what show it was. It was some daytime talk show. And they had um, couples on the show that were fat women with good-looking skinny men. Hmm. And they were like speculating, basically, um, and taking questions from the audience about why why would a good-looking uh, fit man be with a fat woman? And and the answer really was um, either because the woman was a beard, the man was gay, um, or it was a fetish of some kind because there's just no possible way that a man would love a love a fat woman. And I think I really internalized that. Um, and And I can remember this one time... I was driving home and I, I'm like the person, you know, that talks to themselves in the car and works things out. And Wait, like you have full on conversations by yourself? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On the um, other hand, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you don't say. Um, yeah. And I was like pretending as if I was talking, like I must have had a crush on a guy or something like that. And, and I was, um, like almost giving a monologue for why he would want to date me. And and it started with like, I know I'm not the typical feminine um, standard of beauty, but, and then I'd be like, I'm loyal. I make a good, I don't know, apple pie. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I care deeply. Like I gave all these things that were like, you know, things that I was a proud um, of about myself, but but at the cost of my physicality, right, um, mm-hmm. and beauty and desirability. And at the time, I remember thinking that was like, wow, I love myself so much. Like I think so highly oh. of myself, and it was so sad because it was like I was just basically giving a list of why someone wanted to date a fat person um, that had nothing to do with uh, their beauty or desirability. Katie didn't date much as a teenager. In their early 20s, they dated a guy for a few months, but they really had a hard time believing he could be attracted to them. And then around 10 years ago, Katie met Julian, and everything was different. They loved my body. I mean, also, part of it is that Julian was the first um, queer person that I was with, um, as well as my queer, my first queer relationship. So there's a lot going on. Um, that is a lot, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot all at once. But I went all in, you know. I I didn't second guess it. I wasn't like really, like I didn't feel insecure about it. I was like, well, you do because the actions met the words, you know. Like it was it was very clear um, that they, they loved me and they wanted me um, in all that I was, you know. Um, not, just, not just those things in the car that I talked about, but uh, um, because of my body as well. Like, for example, when I were spooning, like, one evening, and I was the little spoon. I like to be the little spoon. Um, uh And they had my hand on my stomach, and they, like, grabbed it. Like, they grabbed my stomach, and um, I got really quiet. Back then, I would get quiet in times of feeling strong emotions. Um, 
And and Julian was like, "What's up?" And and I started to cry. And and I was like, "Oh, that my brother and sister used to like need my fat. Like they would like pin me down, and they would like 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 a doughboy, right? You remember the doughboy, the commercial? And it was upsetting and horrible. Um, and so when Julian grabbed my stomach like that, it just triggered, you know, that reaction. And they're like, "Can I just?" hold you? Can I just hold your stomach? And I was like, yeah, you can just hold my stomach. And so we just laid there and they held it. Julian is thin. Katie describes them as straight size, meaning they don't wear plus size clothes. They've been married seven years now and are both genderqueer. Julian was the first to change their pronouns about six years ago. Around that time, Julian also changed their name and started taking testosterone. Was it difficult to be able to watch Julian be able to manipulate their body with hormones into how they wanted their body to look when your experience has been very different? Your experience has been having to change the way you think about your body so you can find self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, is that even in their ability to take hormones and have their body change, um, it doesn't necessarily result in love and acceptance of that new body. Um, And I feel like part of what I've had to overcome for myself is is to, like, shed or let go of um, that desire in myself, you know, like dieting or um, that there's ways that I could just engage in something to then change my body, to then love and accept it, Um, which I think is a false narrative as well. So, So even though, yes, they have taken hormones, they've done things to that has physically changed their body. Um, They're working just as hard as I am, you know, to to love that body and accept that body. There's ways in which Julian, in their own experience of their body, it helps me to explain to them my experience in my body, especially as being fat. It's like a big Jenga puzzle, you know, Um, and it takes a, a, a decent amount of work. A Jenga puzzle. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that way of, of thinking about intersectionality. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you really have to pay attention to each piece. Mm-hmm. I talk about it's it's the gift of queerness in some ways um, that we both expe- we both have experiences with being, you know, on the outside of uh, railing against um, a dominant system that is telling us that we don't belong. Um, that we get to claim joy in our body, in our own expression of our body. Coming up, we hear from a couple who used to describe their bodies in the same way, but now their bodies are different. Something that I am pushing him on a little bit more these days is like allowing himself to have fun with food and not just use it as a means to an end.
In my tradition, blessings are used not to make something holy, but to name what is already holy. In their day-to-day, the listener you just heard goes by the Reverend Katie Ernst. They're an Episcopal priest and shared with us this blessing for thunder thighs. And as I read this thunder thigh blessing, I would invite you to put your hand on your thigh to make contact with your holy flesh. May the thundering clap of your thighs echo in the valleys of your spirit. May the dotting of dimples remind you of the sweet joy of the journey you have been on. May the markings and lines that frame the top of your thighs lead you on a path of discovery and enchantment. May you know the power that resides between your thighs and the strength buried beneath the soft covering of fat flesh. May your thunder thighs clap back. And may you know that you are holy and whole. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Part of making a commitment to someone is making a commitment to their body, knowing that all bodies change over time. This is a fact of life and something all of us must navigate in long-term relationships. And with all the stigma around weight, changes in body size can be particularly loaded. Like for this couple, who've been married for 17 years. Hi, Anna. My name is Farah. I live in Louisville, Kentucky with my husband, Jim. Hi, Anna. I'm Jim. In May of 2018, I weighed 341 pounds, and over the last about three and a half years, I've lost about 165 pounds uh, slowly and methodically, no surgery or anything like that. So I am still overweight, and, you know, it's harder for women to lose weight than men, and Jim and I 
you know, we're in great shape relationship wise, but his weight loss and the way that he is able to kind of move through our society now um, has changed over those last three and a half years. And to hear your call for couples who have kind of been through one person's body changes together, um, that's just exactly where we are right now. I called Jim and Farah when they were at home in Louisville. They told me that when they got married in 2004, they each described their bodies as being overweight. And while they've both been losing weight over the past three years, Jim's dramatic weight loss has made a much bigger impact on his daily life. I remember even relatively early on commenting to her when I got home from a trip about the first time that I got on an airplane and really confidently did not ask the flight attendant for a a seatbelt extension. When you are somewhere in public and you're seeing people who haven't seen you in some time, what are some of the things that they say to you? I still never know exactly how to react when someone tells you you look better. Um, Because I, you know, I I didn't think I looked like crap before. Mm Mm-hmm. And Farah, how how would you describe your body right now? How do you identify when it comes to body size? I call myself plus size. I follow a lot of like fat acceptance, body positivity kind of um, social media accounts. And I, you know, try to examine my own thoughts around this stuff. But I very rarely will refer to myself as fat. Like I'm trying to kind of reclaim that term and let it be just like a kind of a factual statement rather than full of judgment. But obviously it feels full of judgment um, for most people, myself included. So I don't use that term a ton. Um, I can't say that I like talk about my body enough to really have ever really thought about the answer to this question before, to be frank. And Farah, as as the partner of someone who is going through such a, such a transformation, incremental as it is, but a, a big transformation, um, have you always known when to, like, be a cheerleader and a support and sort of say, keep going, and, and when to say, I love you however you are? You know, knowing that, like, ideally, he would be half the size that he started at, it was just all cheerleading all the time, you know, for the first three years, probably. Um, he knows I love him at any size. Like, that's not... Um, I've never been concerned that he's going to think, like, I'm overly excited that he's losing weight or anything like that. Um, But more recently, the tension has actually been me saying, like, hey, buddy, what is the goal? Like, how are you going to know when to stop? Like, when are you going to start eating dessert again? Like, what, you know? So the last round of pants that we bought, like, I said to him jokingly, well, I mean, I said jokingly, but it was kind of serious. I was like, okay, this is the last time we're doing this. Like, (laughs) these are size 34 pants, so we're not going to buy any more pants. Like, you need to stop. (laughs) Um, And he was like, yeah, I'll try. And I was like, what the? No, you're in control of all of this. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, this isn't something that's happening to you. This is actually a reality that you're creating. Um, So I really want you to think critically about, like, when, what is the stopping point for you? Like I've said to him, like, I'm worried now that you are becoming like guy who loses weight <laughs> instead of guy who mm-hmm. lost weight. And, and what do you th- think about that, Jim? You know, that has been part of the experience for me is recognizing the, that kind of autonomy that I have. And I, I'll be honest, there have been moments where maybe the sort of achiever in me had that were sort of like, well, if I can do this, what else, you know, what else, what else can this thing do? I can get very 
not just rigid, but sometimes narrow in my thinking about something. And I think over the last three, at least the first three years when I was losing weight, my approach to my relationship with food was how am I manipulating the ways that I eat and how I eat and when and how much in order to affect change in my, my physical body. And so I have, it's been three and a half years at least since I have, you know, known what it's like to eat a meal that's intended to keep me at the same size. Mm -hmm. If I were this size for the rest of my life, I'd be thrilled. Because what I hear you saying is like, learn. you use the word autonomy. You could also use the word like control. You could also use the word of like, you know, empowerment, like realizing you could make choices that would have certain consequences for how your body looked. Um, and I, and I, but I didn't quite hear if the you think these are the last new pants. <laughs> yeah, I I would actually love if these could okay. be the last new pants. That would be great. Yeah, as if there's like an outside force determining whether he can stay at this size. Like, dude, <laughs> it's your choice. Like, it's your choice. I mean, again, back when we bought this round of pants a couple of weeks ago, I was like, these are the last pants. So, like, if these start looking baggy, I'm gonna make you eat some whipped cream or something. And um, have have there been moments of where there have been flashes of where this tension has shown up? Well, the one that came to mind was, um, I think we were getting ready to walk to dinner or something, and we were getting ready to leave, and he was like, I think I'm going to grab this pullover. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, it wasn't cold enough for me, but, you know, Jim, like, being sort of gentlemanly in the moment, I guess, he was like, do you want to wear my pullover? And I was like, okay, your pullover doesn't freaking fit me anymore. Like, I cannot wear your pullover. And that did irritate me. And I said, like, okay, that pullover comment bothered me because it then reminds me that, like, now I'm bigger than my husband. And how did you feel when she explained that to you, Jim? Oh, well, I felt like crap in the moment, not because she had called me out and said it, but because I should have, I, I should, I, I should be adjusting my own behaviors and responses to things based on that self-awareness of, you know, how dynamics might be different because my size is different. You know, I think this is pretty gendered, pretty, um, yeah, I don't like it, you know, but I do feel some kind of way about being a bigger size than my husband. Like, I think in our culture that just, yeah, there's a lot of self-judgment there. Coming up, a listener who lived through what she calls every fat person's worst nightmare. And I knew in that instant that it was over. I was so, I was just, it was like a fog had been lifted. When our intern Sarah pitched the idea for this episode, we all immediately thought of a podcast called Maintenance Phase that we are fans of. It takes a critical look at diet and wellness culture and at what scientific research really supports. One of the show's hosts is Aubrey Gordon. When I called her on Zoom, she was in a thematically appropriate setting, sitting in a closet at her mother's house. Behind her was a giant medical scale. The layers of, like, a queer person in their mom's closet and, like, the scale. Like, it's just, like, there's a lot. 
Aubrey has been researching and writing about body size and culture for years. And she told me there is a lot missing from the conversation around weight and romantic relationships. I will say, as a fat person, I have had the experience of being pressured into weight loss by partners and given weight loss ultimatums. It feels like living under the shadow of this massive cultural idea that we've all just sort of passively accepted, that it is categorically impossible to desire or love a fat person. A lot of that, she says, stems from the way that our culture conflates fatness with unhealthiness, which by extension suggests that if you're fat, you need to fix something. But Aubrey says the science on health and body size is more complicated than many of us are taught. People who have BMIs that are considered to be overweight um, actually live longer than people in the quote-unquote normal weight category on the BMI. Researchers call it the obesity paradox, which I would say is only a paradox if you can't imagine a healthy fat person, right? Like, that, that, that doesn't actually need to be a paradox. That's actually just, the research is pretty clear on this thing. You can be pretty healthy and be a little fat, and that's fine. If you are interested in learning more about these topics or want a well-researched podcast to suggest if anyone makes a rude remark about pandemic weight gain during the upcoming holidays, we highly suggest Maintenance Phase. Aubrey recommends starting at the Body Mass Index episode, and I do too. The history of BMI, it turns out, is totally bananas. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. We heard from many of you who told us about how important the fat acceptance movement has been in your lives, especially for younger people who grew up within it. Maddie is 24 and spoke with me from her home in Oakland, California. So I would describe myself um, as plus-sized. I describe myself as fat, um, more specifically in the context of, um, you know, the fat-positive world. I would be described as a small fat, sometimes mid-fat. Maddie grew up in San Diego in a predominantly white and thin community. Maddie's Latina. I really didn't date at all in middle or high school. Um, I definitely was not the person that anyone uh, would go for publicly in the area that I grew up in. And when I got to college, I, you know, the world kind of opened up for me a little bit more, but I still, you know, I went to um, this small town on the central coast of California and it is predominantly white as well. And and the standard is very much um, white, thin, blonde, um, yeah. So I I started kind of dating in, in college, but it was always very casual hookups. I, I jumped into it really, really quickly, I would say, um, because I had no experience at all. I hadn't even kissed anyone when I went to college. Mm. And um, I had sex for the first time the same day that I kissed someone for the first time, um, which was really... Uh, a pretty intense experience. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What were what were the circumstances of that day? <laughs> like uh, like what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot done in one day. I know. <laughs> yeah, so um it's it's actually a really funny story. <laughs> so, um this friend who I'm actually still friends with, um I had been crushing on him 
since I basically met him. He lived across the hall in the dorms from me. And one day I went up to him and I just told him, like, if you ever want to hook up, just so you know, I'm down. (laughs) Maddie. I know. Um, I did that. And then he was like, good to know. And it like was literally like months later, I feel like. And then we were hanging out with um, friends and slowly people kind of dwindled back to their rooms. And um, I think Clockwork Orange was on the TV. I mean, it was very... uh, So romantic. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, everything that you'd ever dream of, right? It was it was so like um coming of age movie type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then we started kissing and then we went to his room and I had sex on the top bunk of a twin XL. Um so <laughs> it was extremely it was a very college experience. Did you think about your body when you thought about the kinds of like how casual some of those encounters were? Yeah, definitely. Um, In what way? You know, I think I was aware on some level that that maybe I would have a harder time finding something more serious because of my body. Um, I think a lot of men specifically, um, it's not that they're not attracted to fat or plus size women. I think that they're scared to say that they are. Um, And I knew that. And I knew the culture was not going to be very forgiving of that. Maddie eventually got tired of short-term hookups and started looking for a relationship. She got on some dating apps and carefully curated her profile. Definitely a mixture of selfies and full-body photos and and saying outright that I'm a very um, proud plus-size woman. Um, in my, you know, bio, I, I never... God, I never wanted to have one of those situations where I showed up at the coffee shop and they were like disappointed <laughs> in what they saw or felt like I was displaying myself as thinner than I was. She eventually swiped on someone who wanted to meet another student from her university. He became her first boyfriend. The first time I met him was literally my first date at a coffee shop. Um, and I screamed the whole way there driving. I was so nervous that I screamed in my car to get my anxiety out before getting out and looking completely casual and put together and meeting him. Uh, (laughs) Did you talk about your body with him? Oh, yeah, all the time. You know, I had a lot of kind of traumatic things happen to me with related to my body that we talked about. You know, I would get calls like every day in middle school from anonymous numbers of girls at my school calling me like, um, I'm going to cuss. <laughs> they they yeah. would call me like a fat ass cunt and tell me that I deserve to die. When you would share these painful memories, what was his way of uh, listening? He would hold me when I would cry about it. And he tried, I think, to to reassure me about you know, my body and the thought, the fact that he thought I was beautiful and, and sexy and all these things. What was his body like at the time? Uh, thin, uh, very conventionally attractive, white. Did you love him? Um, <laughs> I think I did, or I think I thought I did. But when I look back, with the context that I have now, I think that um, a lot of what I felt 
was actually the result of pretty intense manipulation. Um, and so I don't think it's the same kind of love that I would hope to have in, in future relationships. Maddie was with her boyfriend for almost three years. Then when COVID hit in the U.S. in March of 2020, they decided to lock down together at her apartment. He was asleep in her bed, and she was up late. And I was out in the living room, and I um, saw his phone on the table kind of light up. Um, And I had his password, but I had never used it. And something in my gut had been having weird gut feelings for a while that something was going on. Um, And I just knew, I was like, you've got to check his phone. And I saw years worth of text messages between his sister, his um, brother-in-law, his mom, his dad, um, talking about a girl named Shandy, um, like it was his girlfriend. You know, them saying, oh, is Shandy going to come join us for the holidays? We'd love to meet Shandy. When are we going to meet Shandy? Hmm. I hope she's doing okay. Um, And I just knew. I was like, either he's been cheating on me and has another girlfriend, which would be pretty incredible because we spent almost every day together, or he's made someone else up. Maddie woke him up, phone in hand, and asked him what was going on. And he told me that he had made up a fake girlfriend with like a whole other background story and and details, etc. Because he was too embarrassed to tell his family that he was dating someone who was fat. She knew right then that their relationship was over. He went back to sleep. She called a friend to pick her up and spent the night away from him. But the next morning, she came back. And I sat down in bed next to him. And I said, like, this is the last time that we will be in a bed together. Was he contrite? Was he ashamed? Um, it was like talking to, like, like a little boy that got in, like got caught stealing candy at a like a store, you know. Um, he seemed really ashamed. I remember he he was crying when we said goodbye, and he said, "I just I just don't want you to, you know, internalize this and think that it's about you. It's it's me. I'm the problem." And I was thinking to myself, like. Of course you're the problem. <laughs> um, no shit. But also, it is about me. And it's also about me in, like, a larger context. And and it felt more, like, about me in the context of, like, what fat women have to go through. Um, and everything that led up to this. Like, all of this societal pressure um, and, and thoughts about fat people and, and everything that had to happen for for. For me to have to go through this. Can we talk about Shandy? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I okay, this is what everyone says, right? When they first hear it, and myself included, is like Shandy. I mean, no offense to anyone whose name is Shandy out there, but what the fuck? I mean, honestly, I was just like, that's the name. That's it. I mean, you, you, like. His family had to have known he was lying because he picked the name Shandy. Like, right? (laughs) It's so strange. 
I also love that you clarified no shade to the real-life Shandies out there. But the made-up girlfriend Shandies, that's what we think No, it's just so absurd. Like, you didn't pick, like, Michelle or a Kayla or a Jessica, but a Shandy? I don't know. Are the types of bodies that you're attracted to, have they changed at all after having this experience with your ex? I think I am a little more hesitant about dating, like, white, conventionally attractive men. And I'm queer, so I've definitely been talking to, you know, women, non-binary people more than I did before. Um, Also, I don't know if you can hear my guinea pigs right now. I can't. I would like to. That little like squeal. Yes. Exactly. But yes, I um, I've actually been uh, seeing someone casually for like like the last year, <laughs> and um, but it's it's very different from anything that I've ever had. Um, For example, when we first started dating, he, um, we had a conversation about fat phobia and he went out of his way to read this like really dense history book, um, called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. Um, and he read the whole thing when I recommended it. Um, and we had a conversation about it and... I don't know, just things like that. It's a lot more, I feel a lot more seen. And why is it casual? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, we are not in in a, like, monogamous, committed relationship. Um, and I think that's complicated. I, I I think that I have a lot to work through still. Um, I, I honestly, I mean, I think like as anyone can understand, like what happened was really traumatizing for me. Um, and so I'm just not ready to to dive, I, I think dive into a relationship in the same way that like, that I would if we decided to take that that next step, you know? You said when I asked you if you were in love in your relationship. Yeah. Um, you said, I hope for a different kind of love in future relationships. Uh, yeah. When you think about um, the kind of love you want in your romantic life, like, what do you what do you think of now? I think about that relationship, and I was like, oh, on birthdays, like, we'll go get a burrito. And I was like, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, I don't mind that we don't do things for anniversaries and birthdays. And that was bullshit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was totally lying to myself because I want someone to make a big deal out of me. And um, if I have to wait, then that's okay. In my mind, there's another dimension where you and Shandy become really great friends. (laughs) You know what's funny is that I actually know who he based it off of. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) Shandy lives. Yes, she's real. (laughs) And she is wonderful, by the way. Um, (laughs) Poor Shandy. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, Maddie, but I just want you to know 
that one of our producers just slacked, what if Shandy's queer and it's a love story? (laughs) That would be wonderful, Shandy, if you're listening to this. Hit me up. My number is. (laughs) That would be fantastic. That's Maddie in Oakland. Thank you to all of our listeners who shared their stories with us about their relationships and their bodies. That's Sex and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Caitlin Pierce and Sarah Dealey. Sarah has been our intern this semester, and she pitched, worked on, and finished this episode with us all in the course of her internship. What a contribution you made. Thank you, Sarah. The rest of our team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, Afi Yellow Duke, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at Anna Sale Picks, P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Karina Putieva in Washington, D.C., who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Karina and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.